Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Cannon. Jeff, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in, you're not going to know what I'm going to say. If this is not the first time tuning in, you are going to know what I'm going to say. Be sure to go to quickfs.net. Be sure to sign up. Tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. It helps support everything that we do on the podcast. It's the software that Jeff and I use every single day to pull long-term financial data, 20 years, and it's just a great website. It's quick, hence the name, QuickFS. If you do sign up, like I said, tell them you came from Focus Compounding. So in today's podcast, we are going to be doing a Q&A. This is the episode where we connect with our listeners and get to uh, answer questions that are on their minds. Uh, to be able to ask a question of that in the future, follow me at Focus Compound. I'll put all the information down in the description below. The first question, he says, Berkshire buybacks. So any qu thoughts on Berkshire buybacks? And then he says, Facebook or Meta, that's their name now, Meta. Okay. Um, uh, Losing the ad battle and what that means for Google. Any thoughts on uh, Berkshire? You want to take backs? that question? Uh, I don't have anything on Facebook or Meta. Okay. I was, what's that one show that you really like? Um, the advertising show? Mad Men? Yeah, Mad Men. Oh, so yeah. when Facebook did this, when they came out with their name Meta for like Metaverse, mm -hmm. there was a meme that was going around that was really funny. It was of the actor from Mad Men. Okay. And he's like pitching. He's like, I'm going to give you the best name ever for the Metaverse. And he was like, meta and i just i thought it was so funny but i have no opinion on facebook or the metaverse i have kind of learned a little bit about web 3 i think i'm gonna get ahead of the curve and start to learn about web 4 okay <laughs> but uh no i have no thoughts on that other than you know facebook's gonna be spending what is it 10 billion a year or something crazy a lot of capital to uh um be doing that and clearly mark zuckerberg very much believes in the metaverse and uh, yeah, I don't have any thoughts though on that. Uh, How much is that relative hard. to what they earn now? Let's see. I think it's ten billion a year. I believe is what the number was. Um, but and could look yeah. at the cash flow statement. I mean, you know, it's a third or so. Mm -hmm. of, so yeah. it's a pretty big bet. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people think Facebook's actually cheap. You know what a company other people think is cheap? I well, do know Alibaba. That. Alibaba, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But anyway, so I have no thoughts on Facebook or Metaverse. We don't, I don't even look at the company that much. I see it on Twitter and I've seen that Facebook's valuation looks probably a little bit more interesting than it usually does. But no, I have no thoughts on that. Google is, uh, I'd rather own Google than Facebook. I think Google is just a cash machine. But uh, any thoughts on Berkshire buybacks? So you're going to buy back their stock. He's sitting on like how much capital? 120 billion, something crazy like that. Well, where can we check Berkshire? How does this quick has to check Berkshire? Well, for at least a stock price. Yeah. Berkshire is difficult because of the two share classes and stuff. It sometimes throws off some online things. Um, yeah. And then what's Apple at? Just so it's because like that's what? a significant part. Third of, of, the, of it or something yeah, like so that. So Berkshire owns it's like twenty five hundred fifty billion, roughly, if that's the market cap. Correct? Is that yeah, right? Something they like that. Right around there. Uh -huh. Of Apple, yeah. Hmm. I guess that old dog still has uh, some tricks left in him, huh? Yeah. Um, Here's the thing, and I've thought about this too. People talk about Berkshire. It's like him selling Apple. Is he going to sell Apple? There's no way he's going. A little bit of Apple. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to dump the whole that? position. 
I don't know why he did do that because that's very not like Buffett. He's but, done, he's occasionally sold little bits of some stuff. Sometimes he sold he sold completely out of Cap Cities, mm-hmm. and he sold a little Cap Cities before Cap Cities and Disney merged. Hmm. Yeah, he was selling a little bit of it, um, and apparently he's mentioned to people like like allegedly before he bought out Geico, he had talked he had said to some Geico directors, "I might sell this stake," and he owned half the company. Hmm. so he didn't like what was happening there so i don't know i don't know why he he doesn't need the cash i do wonder i mean i think it's a price thing is the only reason why he sold any at the time was just looking at and looking at from a price perspective that's the only thing that i could see i don't think he would would do it for diversification purposes like i don't think he thought it had gotten too big Uh, you know i do think it was probably a price thing you know and he said that you know charlie wouldn't have done it yeah well in in the letter too the takeaway from it was that he thought berkshire was cheap and that they were going to buy back their stock i think berkshire is cheap relative to the market uh compared to many times in which buffett has um has been in control of of berkshire and and what he could do at times yeah Mm -hmm. i do think that's true because at some other times when the market was kind of expensive and stuff actually berkshire was pretty expensive so you know berkshire was uh i mean at the very end of the 90s berkshire was kind of cheap versus the the um S&P 500 and all that. But a few years before then, like 96, 97 or whatever, it, it wasn't very cheap. And actually in like the 87 period where he was a little worried about stocks, 87, 88, 89, uh, Berkshire wasn't all that cheap either, probably. So uh, I do think that like he, he has a lot of capital and um, he probably thinks Berkshire is attractive versus other sorts of mm-hmm. options. I mean, we've talked a little bit about that. You can see, so I mean, this is easy. You can, if you want to do a sum of the parts on Berkshire, you can see Apple. You can look that up yourself of what its market cap is at any time and all that. Um, you can look at, say, Union Pacific, for example, is a pretty good comp for Burlington Northern, mm-hmm. publicly traded. You can look at Progressive is a pretty good comp for Geico. So have an idea just from those things of adding that kind of stuff up, what, you know, that might be worth. And then, you know, there's not really a good, there's, there is no good comparison for Berkshire Hathaway Energy because it doesn't pay dividends. So it, it, it is completely different from other energy companies and other utilities, but the others have clear, you mean Apple's publicly traded. Yeah. So you can see exactly what it is and then progressive and, and uh, I mean, yeah, uh, Geico and um, Burlington Northern both have really good comparisons of what the market would value them at i don't see a buffett premium in terms of like if versus a sum of the parts at current market prices mm-hmm. you know i don't see that at all do you think he'll buy back his stock um well what do we say in the when we did our last berkshire thing i basically yeah, think i that. said that yeah yeah, that, yeah that, he that, thinks it's cheap yeah um somebody email in a question so i'm not gonna pull it up but he said have you and jeff noticed any change in turnover slash liquidity in the stocks you focus on with the increased retail slash trading activity in the markets not in the stocks that we normally invest in right i don't think so at all um we what what's (laughs) what seems to be the most popular i guess you know more about the meme things is something that is recognizable but actually kind of um limited float or whatever thing so like the the reverse of what we do so it's more like the name the idea of it the thing it's in whatever is very catchy and well known but then the stock actually is is not huge you Mm -hmm. know so that these things the prices can move it whereas we tend to focus on things that actually are the reverse of that like they tend to be you know for instance have a name 
that doesn't give away what the actual business they are. That's, that's my favorite one, which I've said many times. I love it when a company uses like a totally different name from what it what does. They do, you know, Berkshire yeah. Hathaway. People are like, what the is realty that? company? Is that yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I, we mentioned uh, Flanagan's, you know, in a previous podcast, I just mentioned as an example of a restaurant thing. Flanagan's unfortunately does use its actual name, but if you notice the ticker is BDL for Big Daddy's Liquor. Um, so, I, you know, it's better if like they, it would be a better stock if they use that name because that's a small part of the business. So it's mm-hmm. always good when they use, you know, something like that. Whereas, um, you know, some of the others are, I mean, we just talked about movie theater things, right? And the one we didn't talk about is uh, AMC. That's the one we didn't look at. I talked about Marcus, you know, mm-hmm. so. And then he asks, other than banks slash financials, do any other sectors look as cheap as they did during the great value hunting bin of 2001 or of 2000 to 2001? No, no. And banks don't look as cheap as, as they did. I mean, you know, in terms of the sorts of things that I was buying then, no, no, nothing is anywhere near that. Uh, it's remarkable how expensive everything is as compared to that sort of thing. I don't see the same, um, split in the market that I did then. Unfortunately, that's why now is harder for me than in the dot-com years. The dot-com years were actually not hard. Um, value, it was really good to be a value investor. I mean, your performance might've not been great. Certainly some value funds performance wasn't great, but you were very happy about what you were buying and you weren't worried at all about the prices. Um, in some ways, maybe that was frustrating for them that they're buying good businesses at five, six, seven, eight times PE, and they're not getting any recognition for that. But I don't see that as the case today at all. Um, generally, even the boring old business ones are kind of cheap. Uh, there's, I mean, it's not as cheap as then, but the one we don't talk about just because we don't talk about that much is energy like fossil fuels. That is maybe uh, has been recently sometimes kind of looking cheap in the same way as bank things, you know, had before Um, cyclical. But if you sort of think that there's maybe not going to be as much investment over investment as there was in the past, then maybe those things are attractive to people. But I don't know um, enough about that. But like if people knew a lot about energy things, some of them might think that that some fossil fuel Mm -hmm. things are cheap. Yeah. Trey asks from uh, DIY Investing, mm-hmm. when are you launching a SPAC and why will it be called Cashtag Jeff? <laughs> no plans for a SPAC, Jeff? Uh, no plans for a SPAC. <laughs> I was reading uh, Predator's Ball. Is that what it's called? Uh, that's what the event was called. Um, you know, the Michael Milken and all those sorts of things, John Bond things, and all the different financial uh, engineering of that. I've been li- reading Den of Thieves. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting reading about like you know, Nelson Peltz and Carl Icahn and all those sorts of things. It just reminding me about SPACs because it also gets a little bit into what happened in the 60s, mm-hmm. which was the thing. I th- Buffett talked about that. The 60s with the letter stock and everything is the most similar to the SPAC period. That was very strange. There was a brief period in the 60s of the conglomerate sort of thing where you mm-hmm. issued to take over companies and you would just be doing all this issuing of various different securities that you would do that were kind of strange. And it reminded me of SPACs that way. All these warrants and, and, um, and, interest in different companies that you then used to acquire this. That's how Teledyne sort of got started. It was one of those kind of weird conglomerates. How bearish is Jeff now? I don't know about bearish, right? We don't talk about that. Like I don't predict um, the future of the market or try to call when something's too high or or whatever, but um, it's difficult to find things that are cheap. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think it's the hardest that it's been. Our definition of cheap. Because you could see a lot of companies, I think, that have come down in price. Oh, but they things still, come down. In, yeah, but, I mean, if you're yeah. looking at a stock chart, people you know, oh, I don't, kind of look at But that. I don't look at a stock chart. I look don't. at the, the But price, our version yeah. of like, yeah, how we think I about mean, cheapness. You can see how much, you can look at your own portfolio, anyone listening to this. If your portfolio went up this year, more than the earnings of the companies that that um you own you know compare those two what was the look through earnings of the companies and what was the price performance um you kind of pull forward some future performance to today that's mm-hmm. what that means um i always look through at what the what the earnings are and if they're growing and that sort of thing and so even if your earnings grew at 10 15 this year you pulled forward a lot of performance because your portfolio is probably up more than that so um i'm you know but, you know, I was pretty down and you can read some of the blog posts and things. I sound pretty down if you read my feelings in like 2007, to the end of 2006 to the first half of 2007 or something. Uh, stock prices weren't really coming down in any sorts of things yet. But the the prices were not across the board kind of a little expensive. Um, yeah, that period was harder for me than 2006, 2007 was harder than dot com. Even though the stock market was not as high it was more broadly expensive and it's like that now where it's it's difficult because you look at anything that you like and a lot of times a lot of times you look at things that have some problems and they seem priced normally i would say we talked about that with the movie theaters and stuff Mm -hmm. are they attractive versus other stocks they might be but we know that they like at best are about break even right now they've just gone through like basically two years of being shut down borrowing you know all that and they're priced kind of like a normal stock in normal times would be Mm -hmm. now that might be cheap for today but like if we showed someone this price in said to them in the 1990s you know in 2020 this is what the pe on this will be and stuff um you know for their normal earnings um they'd say oh that i guess things are going normal things are going it was a normal year for the movie industry you know uh um uh, he asks what are your thoughts on a b g we could pull that up right now on our favorite website uh oh have you looked at this company before yeah i I don't really have um thoughts i think so the dealership offers a range of automotive products and services including new and used vehicles and vehicle repair and maintenance services yeah, so where do they have? They have the headquarters. They have, let's see what they have. Headquartered in Duluth, Georgia. Right. Um, so here's the thing. I'm, I'm, many of these companies, there's other ones too, um, are probably a- attractive uh, in some ways. I had made the decision to invest in a UK car dealer instead of US. Why uh, was that? I thought they were really cheap versus mm-hmm. the US. And we could get in, you know, like, um, I think some people felt, I think other people felt there was more of a difference between the UK and US than I did. I felt there, a lot of what people were attributing to like more market, permanent market factor type things actually had to do with capital allocation and um, scale, that there was less scale among the UK car dealers compared to the ones they're comparing them to in the US. Um, and that the financial engineering was different, that the capital allocation was different. So I felt if you could get a UK car dealer that um, was going to have decent capital allocation going forward, at least, uh, or better than decent, um, then you'd, you'd have a good investment. And so I thought they were a lot cheaper. Um, some of them have gone up, though. 
you know, mm-hmm. Cambria was bought out, mm-hmm. went up and was bought out. Virtue's gone up, you know, so significantly. The, yeah, I mean, some of the things we're talking about have doubled or something. So the, um, yeah, so basically, it's it's basically uh, around a, what's the one year on year to date you could use? I guess one year it's yeah, hundred twenty seven percent year to date, ninety four percent, ninety five percent. Yeah, so we didn't buy it at this price. I guess is what I want to caution um when you're looking at it but uh, and that maybe the gap between the uk and u.s car dealers is not as big as it was uh if you go if you go there to um what we uh quick fs that tab yeah so i don't um i know the numbers for virtue so you can type in the other one asbury that ticker so we can kind of give an idea of this um so this is price to book, whereas I'm looking at price to tangible book and stuff like that normally. Um, yeah, so, you know, the EV to EBITDA, so like you're seeing the EV to EBITDA on this is looking at, I don't know if this is the, yeah, so on current year, 2020, if this is correct, uh, we're talking about like seven times EV to EBITDA. You could buy UK ones at three to four, and I thought it was that that EBITDA was not like peak EBITDA. Mm-hmm. That wasn't 2020 EBITDA. It, it was when I was looking at it over the EBITDA they'd had in the last two or three years, you know, and routinely they were available at three or four times. Um, and then there was also financing things to get into like, like Virtue had not financed as much, had not, wasn't leasing as much of their properties, wasn't borrowing as much against their inventory as I think some it, that you could be in that industry. So that was part of the thing that I thought was attractive because then you get a lot of if you sell things, you get a lot of cash flow from them. Or if you decide that you need to do an acquisition or something, you can borrow to mm-hmm, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think some of it obviously has been recognized because look, Virtue's up a bunch of the stock. It came here, the management bought them out, uh, you know, bought out the yeah. minority shareholders. So obviously there's some recognition yeah, I was say, in that if, industry. If management's buying out your company, there's a reason for that. <laughs> and they were, they raised it too, you know, mm-hmm. to close that deal. And stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they altered the way that the deal was set up. So, um, yeah, so look, not up as much, right, mm-hmm. in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, year to date, yeah. So the gap has closed somewhat. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the earnings that you're seeing right now in the UK, ones certainly Virtu, are abnormal. And on like a price to tangible book type basis where I'd look at it, you know, this is not where we would buy in mm-hmm. at today's price. Um, but there is sort of a one-time um, strong earnings thing that throws off the calculation you know but absent that i wouldn't be buying in at today's prices at that level so but i do like car dealers as a business overall and so if you know if you're going to buy u.s stocks or um then it would be an area i would look at definitely and i think the capital allocation has been better among u.s car dealers a publicly traded ones than uk next question how do you grade slash think about company culture how important is it for long-term results what kind of management behavior do you dislike the most? Have any favorites? Question mark. Okay. Do you want to start? I say I would say that we think about company culture often. I would say it's very important. Okay. I would say a company that has a culture of being very cost conscious. We've talked the, about this a lot. How you know if if at the top management is very cost conscious and it's something that's kind of ingrained in their culture that kind of trickles down to lower level employees. Um, how do you grade it? Well, you could talk to management, you could go see the place, you could talk to employees, talk to employees that left the company. 
Um, there's other websites and stuff just really talking to people, but no, I would say it's very important. But for me, I really like a culture that is very cost conscious, um, probably doesn't care too much about their stock. I wouldn't feel too comfortable if I walked into Enron, for example, and tickers are everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like they make decisions based solely on what the market thinks or stuff like that. Um, but I would say for me, really cost consciousness is a huge thing. And then Jeff, we've actually talked about too, just how information spreads throughout the company or how things get done, right? Our biggest fear is always, if you work at a company, you tell a manager or somebody mm -hmm. below you to do something, you don't follow up on it and it just never gets done, yeah. right? So some companies, there's just so many layers upon layers upon layers where it's like nothing actually gets done. Um, so flat organizations, I mean, you look at Berkshire, right? We just had that up there. The size of that company and how many people do they have at their headquarters? Right. 30 yeah. people, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but for me, something that always stands out is just very cost conscious. And that could come a lot by the type of companies that we look at. But I would say, generally speaking, um, that's something that always stands out to me, right? I mean, we've always talked about banking, for example, how we like one branch banks, right? They're super focused on costs. Mm -hmm. um, money's a commodity. You know, one thing you can control is uh, the expense item on the income statement. So that's probably something I think a lot about. What about you? Yeah, I mean, we like it when management thinks like an owner, either because they are an owner, or that's how they were trained to think, or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. But that's the common answer for all value investors, right? It was the capital allocation. That's not really the managing of the business. I'd say cost consciousness, like you said, is probably number one. Or along with that, actually, there's kind of three that are right alongside it, which is, you know, cost conscious to me, not letting the cost in, in the first place, more so than cutting them is like not letting them start in the first place, not letting the weeds grow at all. And then um, probably really small circle of competence, like just to focus on a, a view of they're not, they, they don't have an, they don't think that they can or, or should do um what they're maybe not uh is not the best thing for them to attempt so if they have a niche that's working they're not going to get distracted and move away from that you were talking about uh, advertising things mad men stuff like that the biggest mistake in advertising usually from the client perspective seems to be they get fed up with an ad campaign that's working before uh, the, you know, other people do, it would be, you know, a lot of, a lot of managers would say, well, I'm tired of this gecko. Yeah, Let's uh -huh. get him off the air. Uh -huh. You know, they have to convince him it's still working, you know? Um, so just stick with what's working if it is working. And then, uh, the other one, which is what you were saying is what, however you want to call it, um, the initiative, the, um, toughness of will or whatever it is to get things done or the ability to communicate in their culture with that, um, for a lot of things, uh, a lot of times there's good intentions that aren't going to be put into action or won't be put into action fast enough. So management may be telling you something that's absolutely true for them, but several layers down the organization, that's not how things are actually run. And uh, as organizations get bigger, that becomes harder. It's easier with really small companies because often we, uh, what management is telling us is is um, and what we see at the top levels is more indicative of the overall organization. Whereas the the influence you can have at a really big company is sometimes different. And in a lot of ways, I think culture is probably more important at a big company usually than management. Yeah. 
But another source too is you could go to glassdoor.com and really kind of get a feel for mm-hmm. what employees think. Um, but it's different though too, right? I mean, if we were investing in Amazon, we would probably like the big bold bets and fail often, fail hard. You know, if you're not failing enough, then you're not being, you're not trying enough. It seems like that's what the culture is like there where they just really encourage people to make very bold right. bets and um, try to innovate and stuff like that. So I would say it's a little bit different from our perspective based on the companies that we're looking at. Um, but yeah. Oh, I like um, experiments. Of course we like no. experiments. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, but, but, you know, relative to Amazon, Amazon shuts those things. Uh, usually Amazon has shut things down pretty fast when they failed. Um, you know, they haven't stuck it out with losing a lot of money and something that their results don't look good for them. It's good to try, um, try in a way that doesn't risk taking down the whole organization, you know, for that kind of company, Amazon actually hasn't been terribly reckless about its uh, financial situation or anything in in their history, really. Next question. You have often spoken highly of GRBK, Greenbrake Partners. What has made you resist pulling the trigger? Is it purely based on the valuation or do you avoid this industry? Um, Some of it's valuation. I guess. Um, I think a lot of it is a speculation on uh, land prices and things like that. Uh, I, what do we look at this at? $6 or something yeah. at, mm-hmm. at one time. Um, so, I mean, I, maybe you could answer better. We live in the area where they do a lot of business. Mm-hmm. Um, Here, Colorado, where else mm-hmm. are they? Forget that last market that they're in. Is it the Atlanta market? Atlanta, yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, very hot metro, you know, areas. But Green Big Partners, I mean, it's very popular Mm -hmm. around the DFW area. Right, we can see some of the things they're building. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And Green Bricks, or Jim Brickman, he's been a builder for a very long time. And then he partnered with David Einhorn, which is probably how a lot more people know about the company now. It's a larger position for him. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't... We try to stay away from very cyclical things, I would say. And I, even if they have a unique business model or NBR has a unique business model, I do think it's still attached to an industry that has proven to be pretty cyclical. I do think it's probably a cheap company. I will tell you that much, but I just don't think it's something that we would buy. If you look at the balance sheet, we could see what, okay, so balance sheet, and then we could go quarterly just to make sure that I'm seeing the most recent. Okay, we have inventories. Let's see, do they yeah, list that? One point one billion. One point one billion. Okay, and then what's the market cap on the stock? They also have debt, but we won't worry about that right now. The market cap on the stock is one point six billion. Yeah, yeah, it's really gone up. I mean, to me, it just didn't seem like something we would buy. There's a lot of times I come across companies. I'm like, yeah, I could see how that stock could work out. I could see how that business would work out, but just kind of if I had to lay out like a blueprint of the quintessential business that we'd be interested in it just kind of didn't seem like that to me if it was trading at close to book value and i thought buying a home in the dfw area was a good investment i I wouldn't rule out investing in this company i I like this company fine um but you know i don't i look at it from the asset perspective i don't think that this home builder or many others are really all that cheap versus the assets and i think that a lot of your return depends on that in the long run because Mm -hmm. i think we've talked about this for the most part what a company like this does is they make money and yes it's earnings 
but those earnings are then put back, back into back. land, yeah. which is not what NVR does, but it is is what they're doing. So that land, I mean, if you go to the balance sheet, this might help people just so we can go, let's do annual instead of quarterly. So to so you understand what I'm saying here. So if we look at, um, uh, at inventories, right? Yep. All right, so... What are we seeing in terms of the trend over time there? Where do we start? Yeah, it's at? gone like, up. I mean, right, so like 2014, 275 million. I think that's probably right around when, because this was a, a shell. Okay. So they did like a reverse merger. So let's say when we were looking at it then, let's say, you know, maybe it was 400, and yeah. it's 400 to 500 range or something like that. Um, it's now at over double that, right? Because we just did the quarterly ones yeah. is, is 1 point some billion. Um, that is really i would say what you're betting on i mean you can look at what retained earnings are and all that what you you get your payment in form of more and more land is basically what i'm saying and so i um it's a continual speculation on land which isn't necessarily a bad thing and we just talked about inflation and stuff it could be a a good thing it may be getting in land is better than um, most ways in which you would make money but it is something that i'm very aware of that way um i i would see it differently than if it was cash that was paid out to me in dividends mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that land is particularly, um, cheap and, uh, and attractive as an investment versus some other things. So I do it's leveraged up though. I mean, obviously, and then it makes money as a home builder. So I, I just, that's the, always the part that this kind of home builder versus uh, NVR is that's always been an issue for me in thinking about it is I do feel it has to be cheap on an asset basis. Uh, that's what I'd like it to be because you are going to be paid in more and more land that they're buying at market prices, basically. Do you have an update on NACO? Uh, in what sense? I don't know. You just asked for an update on um, NACO. No, I don't have an update on NACO. Um, you know, you're on the quarterly calls. Yeah. So they can hear you, read <laughs> you in the transcript. That's right. Um, there have actually been other people recently it's actually been pretty surprising to me but yes yeah so when we started out you were always the only one asking questions so yeah so if you get some ideas of our thinking on naco usually it would be what questions is andrew asking on the quarterly earnings call um which they do it's actually for a company that level of the profile generally um low profile uh it's you know a a real they're on the earnings call the ceo's there and it goes on for a while and everything so that's the way to get updates on it um okay do you have any thoughts on sports teams slash sports franchises as a business are they good businesses thanks uh they've made some people very wealthy Mm -hmm. um they are a monopoly yeah yeah regional monopoly there you go Mm -hmm. yeah what did mark cuban buy the mavs for i think a couple hundred million he thinks they're worth a couple billion now yeah, yeah they've so, been great great assets for people for sure yeah they've definitely been good assets for people um i don't know about the prices that they sell at and you know um if you make a lot of money from them in general uh in terms of actually generating cash uh you'll be hated in your local community because if they find out that you could uh that you pocketed uh 20 million dollars of earnings instead of mm-hmm. having a 220 million dollar payroll instead of a 200 in <laughs> baseball or something then you'll be hated in that that city and stuff you know um because they expect you to run the team for the benefit of the fans you know you're not not as, as a, the owner mm-hmm. not as it's, business. yeah it's not expected as a business and i don't know about the sense of the like um prices that we're talking about yeah so i don't know as an investment certainly let's say as an example nfl franchise has been a good investment for the last uh uh 40 years or so mm-hmm. yeah 
Here's an interesting question. If you had to invest in a company for the next 50 years, would you rather invest in a company with high margins or consistent low margins? High margins attracting more competition versus low margin making it nearly impossible unless it is run well. He said, for example, Costco. Yeah, definitely high margins. 100% high margins. I don't know if Costco will be around in 50 years. You know. I don't know if Amazon will be around in 50 years. Um, I suspect that they have, you know, so much capital and everything over time that they will be around in some form. But I think it's a very tough business, very competitive. I, I Retailers do not fail um, except by going to zero, basically. You know, retail is not a business that I generally want to be invested in, even with the lowest cost that way. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, yeah, uh, a low-cost retailer can be very successful as long as the culture is run that way and stuff. But that's true for other things. I mean, if I was going to buy an airline, you know, years ago and stuff, I would buy Southwest. But I would also know that odds are the culture will change over time. There'll be different factors that come in and you'll lose that low cost. Um, it's very execution dependent. It's hard it's though. Just, Think how much Berkshire's changed over the past 50 years. Like what is Berkshire now? Berkshire Hathaway Energy, a- Apple, um, Right, but that's what I mean. So Insurance, Geico, right. it's like it, four companies. It generated cash flow that it then put into all sorts of other things. That's what I'm saying, but investing some for the next 50 years, just one company that, forever. Yeah. Right, uh. you, you want to own, well, I gave the example of Disney, for instance. You want to own mm-hmm. something in which you have a feeling that the capital will be allocated in entertainment, in food, consumer brands, um, those sorts of things, because those investments... It will survive, and those investments will not be uh, destroy all the value. Retailers will go to. I mean, I honestly, I would rather if I couldn't, if I had to own something for fifty years. You know, this will horrify people, but <laughs> I, I would rather own Activision than Costco. Yeah, it's just in a better, it's in a safer industry. It can have not very smart people running it and stuff. Costco, if you don't maintain the culture that you have if you don't have the right people running it can really run into trouble i mean disney was run by incompetent people many times in its history yeah many times um you know read the book disney wars coca-cola and that wasn't the most incompetent that Mm, was after the most incompetent period uh so you know uh, costco can't afford that you know Mm um i just I high margins. Yeah. You know, um, and and that's even like with giant companies that we're talking about, if it was smaller sorts of things, even, you know, um, you know, brands, uh, things with mindshare, like I said, you know, I would rather, you know, of like, say the things that Berkshire owns, right. They own these great different businesses and stuff. Um, I would rather, um, own, let's say C's than a lot of other, um, things that they have if I had to own it for mm-hmm. all that time. Yeah. yeah. Jeff has always said his forever company, if he could only pick one for the rest of his life, would be Disney. I think, yeah, I mean, some things do change over time, ways of distributing things and, and whatever. And so there are businesses that fail over time from these categories, but it is the things that are in, whether it's media things, food things, stuff like that, mm-hmm. that that have a lot, if they have a mind share, you know, like we're talking about over time and stuff. If you're just an outlet for some stuff, I don't know. 
Um, but I would definitely rather be in those things than in retail. In retail, you're effectively, you know, uh, what Costco's offering is not Costco. It's the things that they're selling at a certain price, which is fine as long as you can maintain that. We have this discussion all the time with some companies that we own. And you ask me, which is my favorite, whichever things. And, and sometimes something that we own a lot of and stuff, you ask, like, what's the best business? And some things we own a lot of, I'd say, it, it's not the one that I would go to a desert island with. Yeah. Because if it didn't have this management then, and it didn't have this culture, then I wouldn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So then the same thing I've said with, like, financial things when people are like, um, what would you own, you know, forever? I can't really answer a bank or an insurer because I would need to know who's running it and stuff. Mm-hmm. You can see what happened to Geico. Geico always had a low cost advantage, but it ran itself into the ground. Um, you know, Coke was as incompetently run at that same period. 1970s, Coke was not being run very well. Um, and the stock was crazy expensive and everything. It never ran into the sorts of problems that Geico did very quickly. So, yeah, but low cost is a great thing for a long time as long as the the execution is there, which is management, culture, all those things, and you have to watch it. I think they're great stocks. I think Costco is a great stock, but I you can't uh, buy it and then forget about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we could do last question, and we'll continue with this thread next week. Uh, somebody says, as a small fund, who are your favorite investors to source ideas from? Um, so let's see, they mean like actual, uh, Just, other investors, I guess. So, yeah, I really don't get ideas like, yeah, from, from say published. No <laughs> um, yeah, they're just, they're too big. Yeah. You know, they invest too much in things that are better known. I mean, my preference, you know, is, is to own things that are, that are more overlooked and all of that. That's, mm. that's why we do it. Um, and everyone just, I mean, we're just playing our own game. That doesn't mean it's the right way. But I would say there's rarely, I can't think of any situation where we've been in a company with some other, I would say, well-known fund also involved. Maybe no, one, but, but it's not, I don't think that's, yeah. that's not something that's normal I mean, for us. It really we don't does. really take ideas from other people, I would say. Yeah, I'd say that's true. I, I mean, I do watch what other people do. Um, sometimes I, I like to see what the portfolios look like and whether they're doing something interesting. Um, mainly it's certain investors who I think that they try to understand an industry and understand maybe if something's changing it and, and those sorts of things. So like when Buffett, um, when Bill Miller and Buffett and some other people bought airlines, then that would make me look at that kind of thing. We don't really invest in airlines with the size of things we do, but that gets me interested in is something changing with that industry and, and that kind of thing. Um, so there are some companies where like there's, we could buy a smaller version that's not as well known and people are buying it, but it's more like for insights into maybe why would someone buy this thing that's outside of their normal sort of mm-hmm. investment um, area that way. Yeah, definitely. It would be that rather than a particular stock, but I, I get sort of maybe, industry ideas i guess you could say that way i love reading more. other microcap or small cap investor fun letters i read mm-hmm. all of them i mean goes up on reddit I'll, I'll look through and read them and stuff but i don't know if i've ever gotten an idea from it yeah i i don't know about that uh i guess i've said that i've gotten ideas from like a message board or something like that i guess i think that's true yes got ideas from a blogger who didn't want something Oh, recently I read something from a fund manager who sold something and I was like, 
I'm going to take a closer look at this because his like reasons for selling it were interesting to me. So You've it sounded that. like the kind of thing I would buy. Yeah. Like his reasons for selling were like, oh, I might buy it then, you know. There was an idea that we, a company that we do own that you, somebody laid out a thesis for why they weren't going to invest. Right. And you, to your point, what you just said, basically, um, I, there wasn't something that you, you would want to invest in it. So, okay. The, the, the easiest ones are sort of the Charlie Munger says like invert thing for whatever reason, the easiest seems to be when someone decides not to buy it or they decide to sell it or whatever. And their, their reason seems uh, wrong like it somehow it's easier maybe it's a contrarian thing or whatever but it's easier for me to read something it's it's hard for me to read something and agree with them because for one thing there there's lots of things they might not be seeing that i'm not you know but if they seem to have a good grasp of it and then pass um I'll give you an example i won't name what blog it was and stuff but investors title insurance is a really good example there's a write-up by someone a long time ago on it um, and like their reason for whether they would buy it or not and everything. And, uh, it's kind of a, well, this probably isn't the best stock or whatever, but it might be good for a short time, like to own it and then I'll sell it, you know? And they did, uh, make, make money on it on a short term basis, plenty of money on a great annualized return probably. But it was interesting cause you look at it and you're like, well, maybe you shouldn't sell it now when you like really think about it. You know, I've said that about some, uh, there was one stock where I read something that someone had done and I agreed with everything they said. And then they said, but it's not cheap basically. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that it, it wasn't cheap compared to peers. I guess you could say like, if we just call it whatever industry it's in, that's all, you know, those exact peers, this same size, what they were doing is basically saying for companies in this industry that are this many hundred million dollars, it's about in line on this ratio, mm -hmm. you know, then this multiple. Um, but it's like way better yeah. than the other ones in it. So that's the kind of thing that is really attractive to me when I see that. What gets me going is when I see a company, somebody lays out a great thesis for why a company is such a great business. Mm -hmm. And they say, but at these prices, maybe it's a little bit fairly valued. Yes. Maybe we should wait for a 20% pullback or something right. like that. Yeah. That's what I'm calling like, oh yeah, like my lips are wet. Like this is great. Yeah. So, because uh, there's, we've talked about it so many times. There's nothing, there's some companies that are so great and you would love to own them if they got cheap. Right. And they just don't get cheap. They just continue to go up mm -hmm. because they're great businesses and they continue to create value. My version of value is, I've thought about it a lot. It's like, what is value? Is value cheap or is, is value something that's valuable? Mm -hmm. And those are two completely different things. Right. You know, so I think if you're coming at it with the perspective of value is things that are valuable, you probably don't get too caught up in, well, I got away for oh. a 20% pullback. Well, for I'll example. give you a great So I, I have gotten ideas for some things to talk about or to research or whatever from people in the sense that like I read um, something about, uh, someone had written up something about Monarch Cement. And basically they did a calculation and stuff and, and thought that it wasn't that uh, cheap. Like they said, you know, it has a mode or whatever, but it's not that cheap. But what was interesting about it is I, I forget the exact thing that they had done, but basically they were like, well, you're kind of close to what the, um, uh, like historical, what it costs to, mm -hmm. to put into it or whatever. Um, and so I forget exactly what they said, but what they said basically was like, well, you could, they, they said like, you know, so someone could basically build a cement plant for the 
same sort of price that you the stock was at at that time, which was a lot less. The stock was less than book, and uh, that you're pretty close to it. And I I kind of looked at that and thought, well, no, because the replacement value is different from the historical cost that they have. But also, an acquirer should be very happy to pay at least replacement uh, value because if you were going to build your own plant you wouldn't do that. You would first go to the local company there and say, let me buy you rather than have a plant competing with you. So in fact, you'd think that in an acquisition of a cement plant, it should go for some, some premium or it should not go below the floor of replacement value. Obviously replacement value is higher than the, you know, book value that's been, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's not adjusted for inflation over that time. Um, So that was a good example, but like that brought that to my attention. So there's a lot of, I've definitely learned about certain industries business models, things like that by reading, uh, people, um, and the, their specific stock picks and what interests them about it, but not so much the actual stock, even something like, um, in a sense, like, did I get the idea for like Virtue Motors or something from somebody? Technically, I guess, no, I didn't like see it in someone's portfolio and buy it that way and stuff. But I had read things where people were investing in car dealers. I had even read things where people were looking at car dealers in the UK at various times. So I was definitely um, thinking about those things. And if I hadn't uh, read things where people analyzed and tried to value car dealers, then I definitely wouldn't have looked at mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us. Follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound. That's the best place to get everything that we put out into the world. Uh, you can be on the lookout for any future Q&A uh, call for questions where we can uh, just go right and answer any questions that you have. You could also comment on this thread because I'm going to, we're going to answer more questions uh, next week on this thread. So go to my Twitter at Focus Compound and post a question. I want to thank everybody so much for the support and we will see you in the next podcast.